0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad, and with me, as always, is fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. As I said before, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our content all over the internet, and even some print publications. Uh, You can find my stuff mostly at AutoGuide, as well as its YouTube channel, and you can find Ben's stuff, well, uh, I'm trying to think of all the publications that... Ben has written for, and quite frankly, it's too long of a list for me to go through right now. So Ben, give me some highlights.
1: Uh, Super Street, Automobile Magazine, Haggerty Classic Car, and Driving Line. Let's let's go with that.
0: Those are the those are the top five of this month. I love. Well, we're that. not okay. we're not putting them in order here. Every no, every no, client is important and precious in no discernible order. We have some cool cars to talk about this week, don't we, Ben? I think so. Okay, I'm going to start us off because uh, in our in our week full of cars with a bunch of letters for names. I have the Mercedes-Benz EQC. Actually, to be clear, it's called the EQC 400. And, and you went to Norway to drive that vehicle, didn't you? Absolutely. I went all the way to Oslo, Norway, which is a beautiful city. And uh, it's also a, 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 a country that has really embraced um, electric vehicles. There are electric vehicles almost everywhere. And uh, it's very impressive how many chargers they have and what kind – just how popular the EVs are there.
1: And I believe that's because of legislation where the the, the country put in a major effort to try and – I think there's a huge tax on gas cars or or a less, yeah. ta- less tax on electric cars, something
0: along those lines. I believe it's the latter, but I didn't go too uh, deep into that because I was there to drive some cool electric cars. And the Mercedes-Benz EQC is the brand's um, – I think it's their second car with this EQ dr- – it's called EQ Power, um, which is their family of full electric vehicles. Now, um, their last model was called the Smart EQ. That was where the um, branding came from. The Smart EQ replaced the Smart ED, which had a terrible branding. Terrible branding.
1: <laughs> well, although EQ is – what does EQ stand for? Because for me, it's like – it sounds like IQ, like you know, emotional intelligence. Uh, yeah. Is, is that what it it's is? Different. Yeah, it's electric, like electric current with a Q? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. Uh,
0: electric uh, intelligence. That's what it stands for. Okay. <laughs> um, it is a car that's meant to face off against the Audi e-tron. The Jaguar I-Pace, which is a very popular car, it uh, earned the World Car of the Year this year. So, I mean, that's not uh, a small feat. And I think you could also throw it up against uh, some of those Teslas that have been coming out. I'm not sure if it's it's big enough to compete with a Model X, but the upcoming Model Y perhaps would be a better fit for the EQC. I want I want just want our listeners to
1: know the word upcoming referring to any Tesla product has a massive asterisk after it.
0: <laughs> so we we went all the way to Norway and um I came away with a pretty good feeling for this car. Um, I wouldn't say particularly overwhelmingly positive, but it makes me think that Mercedes has got uh, a good grasp on what an electric vehicle should be. And what that is, is it needs to be a car that is not an appliance. Um, That's the most important part, because I think a lot of electric vehicles... um, suffer from feeling completely dreary to drive they are and surely they've got a great range but that's a uh, great range or great torque but that might be all they have and i find that the eqc really feels like a a, a real mercedes in some ways um and could deliver that promise um as well as a really customizable driving experience so well,
1: to me i i have to disagree i think that i i, I agree with what you're saying in that a personality or drivability is important and it should represent mm-hmm. the brand but i th- i still think range is the single most important thing right now for electric vehicles until it is no longer an issue
0: i think you're right i mean a small range is uh is not gonna help uh, electric vehicles get very far i mean not like hey great pun there oh jeez uh <laughs> my mom would be proud of that um Okay, for example, the Etron that you tested in the Middle East um last year gets 204 miles per charge, which is not great. It's an okay range. It's yeah. it's definitely usable and livable. You can deal with that, right? It's it's middle of the pack. And the Jaguar, I believe, can get up to um 292 miles um a a, a fully loaded um Tesla can get you 325 miles. So you're playing around that high 200s um, to mid 300s range for, for what you experience to be the best electric vehicle right there, right now. And the EQC, uh, I only have European numbers because it hasn't been tested by the EPA just yet. Um, the European numbers are 450 kilometers, which translates to... There's a range. I had it. Give me a minute. Um... 277 to 293 miles, okay. which and, and that's is on and Euro-
1: that's on the European cycle, so that means we're really looking at probably 230.
0: I would say – I mean they kept referencing the higher end of that range of 290, so I would knock at least about 10% off that 290, and I would say, yeah, 250, 260 I think makes sense. But driving the car, I will admit um, it presented some interesting aspects when it comes to the range. Okay. We drove it. We drove it actually quite a lot. Um, easily put over a uh, hundred kilometers during our drive um, routes, and the car had um, a very clever application of um, a, 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 I don't know of how it regenerates its um, its battery capacity, and the range was ticking down much slower than it had, it had anticipated. So first, when you, when you put in a destination in the navigation, it will tell you how much battery this will have uh, – will, this will use, how much battery you'll have when you, when you get there. And it will provide as well like smarter routes so that you use less battery, um, things with less traffic or um, – Fewer hills most, and that kind of thing. Yeah, fewer hills or maybe even more hills so that you can use the regenerative braking, for example. That, that path leads to madness. <laughs> <laughs> don't so, seek out regeneration. You'll never come back from that rabbit hole. I, so, I mean, I was impressed. I don't know if the car is just is lying, but um, Mercedes <laughs> says that they actually do these calculations in the cloud, uh, very very consistently, and uh, are constantly updating their algorithm and making sure that the car is presenting itself um, in in the most um, realistic expectation. To the driver, and that's something that's really important, I think, because when we, you and I had cars in electric cars in the winter, that range drops so substantially. Yeah. Um, and it it would be one thing if there was a big like a big warning or label that says when you drive this car in below zero temperatures, expect forty percent less range. Like that would be super helpful, right? Yeah. Um, and Mercedes thinks that they're going to be upfront with their with their customers about what their cars will be like in in these kind of temperatures. Um, which I think is important.
1: You know, I I used to have a uh, 1991 BMW E34 5 series, and it had... So BMW had these little trip computers, the Mm -hmm. onboard computers on the dashboard. And if you unlocked... The computer, there was like a code sequence you could do, and you, you could act- unlock
0: the computer.
1: Well, so it had a bunch of functions that were aimed at the consumer, and then it had a bunch of functions that were also inside of it that I guess were to be used by dealers for diagnostic purposes if they wanted okay. to. So you could see how much fuel your vehicle was using in liters per hour, like it, like it was a jet engine. <laughs> but uh, the reason that I'm mentioning this is because it it had a little thing where you would enter in let's say you're on a road trip and the sign says 250 miles to next gas or whatever and you can mm. enter in 250 miles and it would tell you like when you would get there and how how far away you were from that like in terms of okay. hours and minutes and i thought that was so cool yeah <laughs> like, actually i thought it really was really cool it was like a real time based on the speed i was traveling and now you're talking about this electric car that is accessing the cloud to in, take into account traffic and topography and maybe even temperature to calculate all of these and things. what other
0: people and what other people are expecting as well as well as your 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 driving history uh, things like that to to provide a really accurate uh, range expectation. So it's kind of there's some impressive technology to the to the back end of this car um, under the hood or I guess in the chassis. There's things that kind of make, made me. Um, uh, Cock and eyebrow, I guess is the best way to say it.
1: (laughs) Is that Um, what you You stood there with like one hand on your hip and you looked at a Mercedes-Benz representative and that eyebrow went up? Absolutely. And the temperature in the room just escalated.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, So as we said, uh, anywhere between 277 to 290 um, miles on the European cycle, it does this with an 80 kilowatt hour battery. Okay. Which is smaller than the Jaguar I-Pace. And I think smaller than the uh, e-tron as well. So you're suspicious? I've got to double-check this e-tron battery. You were on that event. Do you not remember how big the battery was? Uh, I can check for you. I don't remember offhand because, I mean, there's so many batteries in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, will, I will get back to you on that. But um, it's, it's – it, and you can get huge batteries in Tesla. Oh, it's a 95-kilowatt-hour battery in the e-tron? Yes, I'm I can confirm that. I'm looking at that number right now. And it gets two hundred miles, Ben.
1: I you know, I want to defend the Etron for a little bit. Earlier you were saying that no I'm, <laughs> I I, I wanna say that what you were referring to earlier regarding how a vehicle drives, mm-hmm. uh the Etron feels exactly like any other Audi. That's which great. I, that's perfect. I think, yeah, I think that's an important thing for the brand. And and you're
0: saying it came at the expense of driving
1: range. I'm saying it might have. <laughs> that's okay. All. That makes sense. That's all. And and that's a trade off. And that's a trade off that I think Audi made on purpose because this is you know once brands like Mercedes, Audi, and BMW once they get involved in in these full electric vehicles and Jaguar is a perfect example actually, mm-hmm. they they are not making Teslas. They're making Jaguars, BMWs, and Mercedes. Right. And they have they have like history and
0: expectations well, to meet. I don't know
1: if it's history so much, but it's definitely expectations. I mean they're dealing with owners that are used to not that are used to driving gas powered vehicles they're not selling a certain percentage of the people who are buying the EQC or the iPace are first adopters are people who are enthusiastic about electric cars but that's a smaller percentage than uh you would expect from a for a luxury brand so they're going to be dealing with customer expectations that this vehicle has to do what an Audi is going to do or what a Mercedes is going to do in in everyday situations. And they don't want their dealers having to deal with angry customers because they're like, well, we squeezed a few extra miles of range out, but that means you don't have the passing power you wanted uh, or that kind of, or you don't have the heat in the cabin that you wanted. You know, all of
0: those factors. So that uh, 80, first of all, that was a great point. I agree with you. And I think that um, automakers also have their own sort of benchmarks when they build these cars, not just um, what a gas vehicle should feel like, but what one of their vehicles should feel like. And that takes a lot of um, a lot of engineering, and sometimes...
1: Unless you're Toyota, when, in which case you want your vehicle to feel like a Cayman S.
0: <laughs> your vehicle, which some people would call is BMW's vehicle, is... Anyways. Hey, now. Hey, now. Um, so <laughs> the Mercedes-Benz EQC, that 80-kilowatt-hour uh, battery, is mated to two electric motors, one at each axle. So this car has all-wheel drive. Um, that's a very recurring theme in the luxury... Um, electric vehicle segment. It gets from 0 to, to zero to 60 miles per hour in about 5 seconds, which is very quick. Yes. It's a tiny bit slower than the Jaguar I-Pace, which does it in 4.8-ish, 4. 4.5, 4.8. And the e-tron does it in 5.5, 5, so it's faster than the e-tron there. Uh The Tesla, as usual, you can get the, those models with, uh, like, ludicrous mode, and you can do it in, in under 4 seconds in some cases, which is insane under three seconds in some cases which is insane totally um, insane. can you do can you
1: do zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds in a tesla model x with the falcon doors open and a
0: achieve takeoff uh, i'm sure if somebody's tried that on youtube i will look into it um what else was i going to add to this to this to probably this something assessment? cool and interesting i have nothing to tell you right now oh yes it's very heavy <laughs> it's a very very heavy vehicle and I think when I'm looking at the eTron and its, its big battery, it's got similar power, it's a tiny bit slower, and it's got something called air suspension, which is especially um, an aspect that can add weight to the vehicle. Um, I think that's what's going on in, in the eTron. Now, the EQC does not have uh, air suspension which some buyers might see as a um, a negative. But um, I think Mercedes definitely tunes their suspensions to be more on the comfortable side rather than sporty. And uh, it feels that way for sure. The only problem is with these big vehicles, you can definitely feel just how heavy they can be. And that's a problem to me because I always used to think that electric vehicles would excel in city driving, where you'll, you can plug in, in in urban environments, something like that, like uh, at a... At a at a, what's the word I'm looking for? A shopping charging center station. or charging, charging station. There's, and you're, you're not making many long distance drives. You're, you're doing lots of small distance drives when, you're, when you live in the city. And I think uh, cities are usually congested, and if you have a big, hefty vehicle that um, needs to get out of its own way, uh, it's not very exciting or interesting to drive. That's you know, a problem to
1: me. You're talking about how this vehicle is very heavy, has a smaller ba- battery than the Audi, and is supposed to be faster. All of those things are suggesting to me that the North American range is going to be – Closer to what the e-tron has than anything else, because okay. when when we were originally driving the e-tron, they were talking about a range of 225 to 230 miles. Okay, and that ended up not happening. Interesting. Uh, once the official ratings came out, so it, it, all these factors. I mean, it, it, Mercedes yeah. can design a great car, but they also they can't really beat the laws of physics, right? So that's what has me thinking that maybe there's a. I'm not saying they're fudging the numbers, but I'm am saying the European cycle is generous.
0: Absolutely, it's extremely generous. Um, let's get to like other aspects of the car. I mean, it has a drive mode selector, as so do like every Mercedes you ever you ever you'll Does ever have. Does it have the
1: perfume? There. Does it have moods?
0: It yeah, for sure has awesome. perfume. Does it have um, a
1: specific electric only perfume? Like it's
0: called Electron, and it smells like burning ozone. <laughs> <laughs> no what is burning ozone oh i do know what burning ozone is. Yeah, like when something short circuits
1: in your house and yeah like, or like oh, lightning uh, strikes <laughs> nearby i was it, on it, an airplane that got struck by lightning one time
0: and did the cabin sting
1: yes well and sting. you were
0: sure it wasn't because you farted when you when you saw that okay first strike. of all
1: you've obviously never been struck by lightning because there is no parallel between a human smell and the smell of you know, Zeus's <laughs> bolts of lightning. But we were we were coming into Detroit in a storm and it was nighttime and I was near a window. And what happened was there was this thump, like a really loud thump, like like something really heavy had hit the side of the airplane. And, and you then, were like, what, a bird came up here? Well, it was enough for me to hear it through my noise-canceling headphones. Hmm. And then there was the smell of ozone throughout the cabin. Like you know, it's for anyone who's not familiar with ozone smells like or hasn't been near a high high uh, voltage electrical discharge. It's kind yeah, of you're like you're speaking directly to me. It's kind <laughs> of like how the ground smells just before it rains, um, and the I, I knew I knew something had happened, and then the pilot came on like a few seconds later. He's like, uh, <laughs> "Ladies and gentlemen." You now all have a story to tell your friends when you land tonight because we were just struck by lightning. And uh yeah, I survived. I mean he's he, the pilot went on to explain that you know planes are designed to do that, it's not a big deal, and but uh
0: yeah, ozone. So I want an ozone mood in my electric car. Okay, I understand that. Um it has a bunch of drive modes. Um they actually do perform they do really um deliver a different driving experience in each one, especially when it comes to throttle feel. Um, in the eco-friendly and, and um, maximum range settings, the accelerator will push back on you, which is exactly what you want. You want a car that, you know, tells you where the limits are, right? Yeah. Uh, so to tell no, you – I hate it, that.
1: Honestly, that's <laughs> one of my least favorite features of eco mode. The haptic, the haptic throttle, yeah, I believe. Um, I, 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 it Infinity feels like it's interfering it with my driving. Like it's like – it's it's saying, hey, you think you know what you're doing, but we know better. I don't want a car that's smarter than me.
0: I believe it has something to do with determining whether or not there are more car there are cars around you um, and what the speed limit is. So if you're really if you're really wasting um, your battery by speeding in a place that doesn't that you're already going beyond the speed limit.
1: I pay for its, those electrons,
0: damn it, and I'm going to use them how I want to use them. Well, then put it in sport mode and do it. Ah. <laughs> um, it has paddle shifters, and you've probably heard this gimmick before. The paddle shifters adjust the regenerative the regenerative braking. Yes, um, and unlike unlike other, I think the GM model of doing it, which was to hold the paddle to apply regenerative braking, it so it changes between I think um, one, two, three, and four drive uh, braking modes.
1: Yeah, that's what the e-tron did as well.
0: So one is extra regenerative. One is more coasting. One is the normal one. And if you hold down the right paddle, it gives you what's called um, an automatic regenerative function, which I thought would be the normal mode, but it isn't. What happens what? if you do up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, start? Well, first of all, you get an infinite battery. Oh, uh, wow. Infinite, infinite battery. That's, <laughs> see,
1: that's – you know, normally you'd have to pay more for that, but here you just have to know the secret handshake.
0: The Konami code, of course. Um, People, seriously, that doesn't happen. I hope we don't get any phone calls or, or emails. Is our phone call on the phone podcast? How, on are we, how
1: are you getting phone calls?
0: <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, the automatic regenerative mode actually uses the car's um, driving the safety features and uh, driver assistance features to determine whether or not there's a car in front of you and can use the regenerative brakings without adaptive cruise control to regen the, the brakes or coast up to get to that car. Um, so that's an interesting idea. Unfortunately, in practice, it really was not very smooth. I could not actually get the Mercedes-Benz EQC to feel smooth when it comes to braking. And that's something that it it just had a, it had a huge learning curve. And I think an owner will definitely get used to it over time. But, um, in the, in the day and, and a half that I had to drive the car, I just, I didn't, I didn't really warm up to it.
1: Plus you were being dazzled by Norwegian culture at every, at every corner.
0: Absolutely. When it comes to the interior of the EQC, it's um, very much Mercedes. It's hard to to describe it as anything overly unique. There are special rose gold air vents, which is uh, I think exclusive to the EQC. See, these, also
1: these vents yeah. are, are that's where my my uh, electron mode mood would would come from, right? From the rose gold air vents.
0: Yeah, uh, and there's two very large widescreen um, displays. They're not up top on the dash. They're kind of set into the dash. Um, which makes it look a little bit more attractive for those people who are complaining about um, mercedes benzs old infotainment system being set on top of the dash. And as usual, this uses MBUX, or MBUX, if you want to call it that. MBUX. And, and one of the cool features of uh, MBUX is it has an augmented reality navigation system, which displays a feed of the front camera as you're approaching a turn um, and will use, and will display your directions on that screen, so that you know where your your, your upcoming turn is,
1: and I have it's, to look away from the road, right, to see this.
0: Yes, and okay. it, it happens. It happens um, at lower speeds, so it's not happening on the highways. And it also has um, street numbers on it as well. It has like destinations and, and street names as well, so it is somewhat useful in that manner. But I agree with you; in some cases, it can be a little distracting. I think it's very good as a glanceable system. Um, because it, it shows that animation of where the turn is very quickly. It doesn't like draw it out while you're driving, which is important. I think that
1: augmented reality is only going to be useful and safe in automobiles once it's displayed on the windshield directly within the line of sight of the driver. I think that'd be very cool. Uh, I think everything else is a distraction. um, And I think it's something that uh, people aren't really talking about it. It's just like, here's another piece of technology. And it's something that's flashy and interesting and and looks cool. And then people don't necessarily think about the workflow of the driver and the safety aspect of, you know, it only occurs at low speeds. Well, there aren't pedestrians on highways. There's pedestrians
0: around town. And it's it's really distracting, I think. But, I mean, you can – it's a very high refresh rate. So you do see what's happening – it didn't seem like there was a lag. You know how when we have um, – <clears throat> what is the name of that? those rear-view cameras the, that are in the Yeah, I know what, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah and the, those but, feel disturbingly, like, laggy?
1: But I think that for me it's not necessarily a question of refresh rate. It's a question of when you're driving and you're looking at the windshield, you're in one – particular mode of attention like you're you're paying attention to one specific thing and that's the activity Mm -hmm. of driving when you Mm -hmm. remove your eyes from that activity and look down at the dashboard you are no longer in the same the same mental space you are Mm -hmm. now looking at a screen and that reduces your situational awareness because the screen is only presenting a limited amount of what you could see out the windshield and the side glass so for me it's a transition between two states of being and two states of alertness as a driver that's the dangerous part
0: okay i i can i can see that Uh, When it comes to charge times on this, if you're using a level 2 charger, it'll take, I think, um, 10 hours to charge. Um, If you're using a combined charging uh, system, which is the – that's exactly what it is, CCS. Uh, It'll take 40 minutes to get to 80%, which is pretty solid. And people haven't given me a price range on this car, but I would expect it to be somewhere in the area as the Jaguar I-Pace, so somewhere around $70,000 U.S.
1: I I think it would be fun – To create like a a league of racing where it's people who they racing to see who can charge their car faster. So you have like rival cars, they plug in at the same time, and then everyone waits for 10 hours and watches the cars as they charge. And there's there can only
0: be one winner. It's the World Endurance Charging Championship. Yes, WECC. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it would be amazing. So, is it, would it worth, worth $70,000, dude? That's a lot of money.
0: It's a lot of money, but people are wanting to pay this much money for the exclusivity of being in an electric vehicle. And not only that, but being in a car that has um, a brand name that's associated with. Um, prestige and mercedes are are they
1: really wanting to pay that like isn't aren't electric cars still like an insignificant percentage of the market
0: i don't know about you but i see more and more Teslas each day um not just with that model 3 but i mean the x and the s are are becoming much more common on the streets and people are extremely proud of it and it's got um a special aura of um Of exclusivity and something special, something luxurious. The
1: the Tesla is the automotive equivalent of having an Otter student in
0: your family. Don't don't worry. They're going to tell you about it. The advantage to the EQC is that it's built to Mercedes-Benz standards. And what that means is you've got very special um, build quality. You've got impeccable body build quality, which I think is where Teslas really fall apart sometimes. And uh, that's another crappy pun. Sorry. Um, and I, I really was impressed just in general of the, of how these cars felt on the road. They, they were, they felt like true Mercedes. So $70,000 is a ton of money. I don't it know. I mean, I don't know how anyone can justify that much money, um, easily, so but I, you have to be, you have to be sold on the electric vehicle concept. And I think that's what they're going for here. And also EVs have those, uh, subsidies going in their, in their, in many countries.
1: So my last question about this vehicle, What is it riding on an existing platform or is it a unique platform to the MQC? EQC? Sorry. Sorry, Lincoln. I believe
0: it's, <laughs> I believe it's um, related to the GLC. Okay. Um, additionally, Mercedes-Benz um, makes the battery packs themselves uh, in a separate plant. Okay. They mate the battery and the, the chassis together in the car plant, in the car assembly plant where the chassis was was put together as well so that's an interesting thing because glcs are built all over the world um including the united states so it's feasible that that would they would also put a battery plant somewhere close by to make that happen because right now it's being done in germany um the eqc is being built there um so that that's going to be interesting i should also mention i know some people when it comes to batteries um want to know what kind of technology is in the battery these are using lg chem batteries um and they're water cooled. So and they they also showed a really neat cutaway of them where they have little it, it has three hundred and eighty four of these LG chem battery cells. So does and, that mean you
1: can get a, a sticker for the car
0: that says my other battery is a fridge? <laughs> exactly. My other battery is a TV. <laughs> um Sorry, I was saying in between each of these cells, a very is a very nice um, piece of, I guess, rubber or foam, which is to accommodate any potential expansion um, during charging or or high temperature um, uh, scenarios. I guess okay, I don't think it.
1: anyone's worried about the foam in their electric car, but um, we well, I keep, think it was unique. I mean, we just keep so talking about it if you want to lose listeners. I mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we've seen stories, viral videos have gone, uh, I mean, videos have gone viral, the to people's cars suddenly combusting, uh, and that has a lot to do with the space, that, and, and either leaking, or uh, batteries leaking, or batteries expanding at a, at a really unreasonable rate, or something like that, uh, where they don't have space to expand. And I think having this excellent cooling, and having these, um, this battery pack laid out the way it is. We'll, probably prevent, we'll hopefully prevent that. But I'm oh, yeah, sure I'm
1: hopeful eventually. that my battery-powered car does not catch fire. This is something I never <laughs> worried about until we just had this conversation.
0: We'll eventually see what that's like <laughs> once we land in customers' hands.
1: I, I just, so we're going to segue and talk about a different vehicle now. But Are we? There's
0: sure. no way of, of calling out a segue other than saying we're going to segue now.
1: But before we do that, I just want to mention that um, a couple of weeks ago, Sammy dropped the Fraser bomb on all of us, talking about he made a reference to a 90s, early 2000s sitcom and – talking about the interior of a vehicle we had people write in um to say that yeah they remembered fraser and that uh, they supported sammy and you know i think it's good to to acknowledge the fact that sammy's really with it when it comes to pop culture references uh specifically we uh, a listener named paul said he totally got the fraser reference and i just wanted to uh, let sammy know that he's not alone mm mm-hmm. But uh, the vehicle that I drove Miami is. Sammy fans represent. <laughs> is there a, is there a name for Fra- for Fraser fans that I'm not aware of? Like I do they don't have know. like a special subculture. Like, I'm not that thick into the Frasier situation. Okay, but. well maybe it's time to to commit yourself to something. Um, <laughs> I, I I drove something that uh, can be battery powered, but in my case wasn't, and that was the 2019 Lexus UX. I'm sorry, what? Lexus UX. Is that how you say it? The Ux I, the X two hundred F Sport. Oh, the UX. Yes. I mean, okay. It's not like
0: you call the Lexus
1: RX the Rux. Well, there's no vowel there, so of course they wouldn't. But when we said we were just talking about you don't call it the Lexus is? We were, we were just or talking the about e? the M bucks, and that's a, that's got half of half of M bucks is Ux Ux that's true. Lexus. Lexus is also anyway. Okay, this is getting weird, but yeah, Lexus UX I guess uh, two hundred. Yeah. 200. Okay. Okay. So the
0: 200 is very important because it's the uh, front-wheel drive gas-based version of the car?
1: Yes. So there's the – I think the other one is – is it the 250H? Is that what it's called? Right. So that's the hybrid version. And so another important difference, not only is one gas and one hybrid, but one is front-wheel drive exclusively and the other is all-wheel drive. Um, Okay. Not all-wheel drive exclusively. But it's the only way to get all-wheel drive is to get the hybrid version of the car. So this okay. is this factors into things for a number of reasons. First of all, the Ux is – it's not really a crossover or an SUV. Hmm. It is a hatchback. There's no way around it. It is a hatchback with some fender cladding and a little bit more ride height. Not a lot more. Okay. But and the reason I'm saying this is because I actually had a conversation with a listener this week – who has a Lexus CT200H, which was Mm. a hatchback that they built for... I'm not sure. Are they still building it, Sammy? I don't think so.
0: Um,
1: They built it for quite a while. I really liked that car for a few reasons. It had a great chassis. I felt like the engine kind of let it down because it wasn't all that sporty. It had been borrowed from the Prius of the era. It was fine, but I think that Lexus had the chance to build a sporty hatchback with that car, and they they just went in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I think that the UX200 is the
0: evolution of the CT200H. It I do- think that's a great – that's an excellent point. I think I truly believe you're onto something there.
1: It, it really feels like the same spirit when you're driving the vehicle and when you're looking at it too because it it, adop- it embodies the kind of in-your-face Lexus grill that people either love or hate. But it actually looks pretty good in this small form factor, which I wasn't expecting. I thought maybe it would overpower the vehicle and mm-hmm. it really didn't. It was, it was fairly attractive. Um, and then you get inside the car. And uh, this is also maybe a bit controversial, but I think that Lexus has done a really good job at making the UX feel fairly premium, despite the fact that it only costs about $37,000, $38,000. Okay. Uh, um, And I know that I'm saying only, (laughs) and it's it's like a subcompact. So that's (laughs) kind of... But if you look at, like, an X1 or a Q3 or a GLA, there are a few thousand more at the minimum. Mm -hmm. And there's not really a lot of options that you can order with the UX. Like, mine had the F-Sport package, but pretty much everything else is standard. Whereas with the X1 or the GLA, you're going to
0: have to be adding options. So the the real-world price gap is pretty big. Okay. Um, I'm looking at this car... First of all, it has the most, it, Lexus has done the most adorable job of taking the Lexus interior design and minimizing it. To fit this car, it is the cutest looking interior I've ever yeah, seen.
1: Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> I mean, what I would have liked is more color because mine was gray and black and gray and black. And that's not amazing. I mean, I, I like detail in an interior and I feel uh, contrasting colors is a great way to do that. Otherwise, you're just it can be drab. But yeah. the shapes and the the general feel yeah. of how everything w- felt under my fingers, like center console, the seats and stuff, it, it felt like I was in something that wasn't just yet another crossover.
0: Okay and I want to get into something um about the interior later specifically the the user interface and oh, wow. and and that but is this using the TNGA architecture do you know whether or not it is based it's on this,
1: it is based on the same platform as the CHR from Toyota. Oh, so yeah,
0: that's TNGA. And so, I can imagine it, it drives very well. I've heard that the well, hybrid is much more fun to drive than the, the gas, but if you're telling I need to hear what you say. What do you think? So, it has
1: the same engine as the Corolla, I believe. It's the two liter with uh, 169 horsepower, I think, and 151 pound feet of torque. If, if those are the exact <laughs> numbers, yeah, those are the exact numbers. That sounds
0: that doesn't sound great.
1: Well, it's not great, it's not bad, It's it's right in the middle. And the thing that's not great about it, it comes with a CVT. Oh, Um, no. The CVT is fine if you stay out of sport mode. So in normal mode, I didn't have a problem with it. It was pretty transparent. If you go into sport mode, it holds the revs way too long. And it becomes almost like you're fighting against the gearing when you're driving. It's not predictable. It's not easy to know, like, when I let off the gas, is it going to drop the revs or is it going to hold them? That was kind of annoying, so I stayed out of sport mode for the most part. Another thing that's kind of confusing, though, about the drive mode, so there's sport, normal, and eco, it mm-hmm. has this little, like the like a lot of Lexuses now, which it started in the uh, LC, I believe, the drive mode selector is on the, it's like a dial that's on the binnacle of the gauge cluster yeah, uh, just in front of you, and you twist up for sport, mm-hmm. and you twist down for eco, but there's no normal. You have to, like, push a button on the edge of it for normal, and when you're in normal, it doesn't tell you you were in normal on the dash. <laughs> And, and that's confusing because there's an eco light that lights up a lot <laughs> when you're driving. <laughs> so you, sometimes I was like, am I an eco or am I not an eco? And I would twist it to put it in eco and all of a sudden I had two eco lights. <laughs> oh no, really? Well, there's an eco, like there's the eco light stays on on the bottom right of the dash. And then like mm-hmm. inside the gauge cluster where the, the, the tachometer, the, the di- digital tachometer is, you get another eco thing.
0: So when you're driving economically, I suppose. Yeah. Well,
1: anyway, who knows? But it was a little weird. Uh, but it, it, it the it's not a kind of car you're gonna thrash around. it's not sporty to drive but it was pretty comfortable and okay. I was surprised I, I I thought I was gonna get into this car and be like oh look another cynical uh, subcompact crossover cash grab.
0: Right, exactly. Everyone's buying crossovers um, and everyone's buying luxury cars, so let's give them what they want and just make something really cheap and easy.
1: But I don't think that's what the the UX is. I think the UX is uh, a fully fully realized, um, smaller iteration of what Lexus feels their product should be like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And whether it's for you or not is kind of a different story, though, because it's not super practical. Uh, the cargo area, it's about 21.7 cubic feet, which is the same size you get in a full size sedan trunk. But Mm -hmm. the, uh, entry area, like when you pop the hatch, it's not very wide and it's kind of, it's kind of a little pinched at the hips. So you can put longer stuff in there, but you don't have a ton of room. So it's, again, this is a very small vehicle. It's not super practical and the rear seats are kind of the same thing. I'm not very tall. I'm five, seven. I fit okay in the back, but if you're taller, it's going to be a problem.
0: Can you transport any tires in the back of this thing?
1: You probably could, but it, they would have to be small. I don't think – I don't know if I could transport 18s. I could definitely transport 15s in it. Does uh, it have
0: 18? Does it use 18? Oh, yeah. Of course it has. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? It's like the minimum
1: size. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it might have the F-Sport rims. I, I think they looked pretty good. Uh, yeah, but I,
0: the ride quality on rims like that, it must be must be no, tough. No, it, it
1: was fine. I, I was surprised. How did they manage
0: that? I, magic. Lexus magic, Sammy.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's just how it works. Uh, the, so these are the good things about the vehicle. There's a lot going on with the and, – and the price. Price. Yeah, price uh, is really average decent. Average performance. Nice styling inside and out. Those are all things that I think are fine for this vehicle. Okay. What's not fine? And you know exactly what's not fine. I
0: know exactly what's not fine. Lexus
1: N form infotainment
0: or remote touch. I don't know what's called anymore, but I don't know. I call you're, it. You're onto something it's wrong.
1: It's it is the worst in the entire industry. So and this much, is the. Is it the joystick or the touchpad? It's the touchpad, ah. and not only. <laughs> My my version required an, an app on my phone in order to – or I don't know if it was for the phone or for the car in order to have navigation. That's not cool. <laughs> I'm not installing that. Are you kidding? Uh, and, and there's when, no Android Auto or Apple CarPlay yet? Um, I don't know. I did not investigate that.
0: I, I doubt it, but OK.
1: But what, what was weird was when you push the home – first of all – it sucks because that mouse pad doesn't work well. It's very, very difficult to use when you're driving. Your finger goes all over the place. The way it works on the screen is it's not like a mouse pad with a cursor. It's a mouse pad that follows the existing menu options, which is confusing and jumpy to use. When you hit the home button to see the main screen, you get inf- uh, entertainment on one side. So if you're listening to music or whatever, and then the other side is dedicated to this navigation app that I didn't have installed. So oh. it, it was like, useless space and then it was I, yeah it wasn't blank yeah. it just said install this app you know uh. it was like a pop-up ad <laughs> uh and i got to the point where i just i didn't even program like presets for the radio uh, uh i it was just a nightmare to use i hated it i can't stress that enough how horrible this system is and i keep harping on it every time i drive a text uh, a lexus because they could do so much better yeah. And and everyone else in the business is doing better and I don't get why they're so dedicated to remote touch. It's 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 not like it's a secret. I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Right. I mean you uh, hate what, it too. What do you think, say what do you say think it happen- with me Sammy, say I hate remote touch. I absolutely hate remote touch. Yeah, and so- I'm trying to figure out what happened. Like I want to know did they just buy they have like a million these aren't even – I would say like if they had a bajillion old IBM ThinkPads in their office and like, we have all these touchpads we need to get rid of. But the touchpad in, a, in an IBM ThinkPad is actually very useful, very it is. easy to be used. You know why?
1: Because it's a computer being used in a completely different context. This, I mean, this is not a computer. It is a car that is on a road that is never flat or straight. Right. And so you need to take that into account when you're just designing a user interface. But it's funny that you mentioned like maybe they had a huge stockpile of old laptop parts parts they needed to use because we had a reader, uh, uh, Timothy, he wrote it to a reader, a listener. He wrote it to us and his question was, he's like, look, he feels like Toyota somehow gets away with selling cars that are years behind in certain areas like technology or interior parts or uh, engine options. And they, and because of their reputation, they can sell them for a long time and then eventually they upgrade and then they, the cycle restarts again. And I think... Um, well, for sure. They do that. They, what, I, I totally get this. And when 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 he said that, it made me think of that. We, we've talked about this on the podcast before. That
0: digital clock on the Corolla, yeah, that, ancient that, digital clock. It's either like amber or blue. They now they have was, the new ones have blue. It was the like same
1: blue. one for like at least twenty five years,
0: and it has these two <laughs> buttons. One for the no, oh, it has like three buttons. I think one uh, for like the hour, minute, so, yeah, and, and the one resets it. To no one resets it to zero. Oh, that's so the, the minute it's so useless. I don't know why. It so, happened.
1: so it's possible that Toyota has like taken the same philosophy with Remote Touch, and they're like, "Look, we bought a he- ten million mouse pads, and it was a bad idea,
0: and we got to use them,
1: or we can't write them off." <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now yeah. they're going into Lexus's. Um, no, I mean, Tim is on to something when he says, does Toyota get away with selling cars that are years behind in technology? I mean, when it comes to interior technology yeah, they've been, they've been using those analog clocks uh, sorry, those digital uh, clocks forever, absolutely forever and some of the switch gear has been, in the, has, been in these use, has been used in cars that are over 10 years old, it doesn't feel new it doesn't feel at all like, uh, like a brand new product on the other hand they also use powertrains that are very old um, for a long time. The Corolla was offered with a i think a one point eight and a four a four, and a four speed, speed
1: automatic transmission
0: automatic and you know what on that end of the of the equation, mm-hmm. they did this because that engine was tried and true. Um, it was extremely reliable. Those things were bulletproof, and there were so many of these engines out there that they could find parts very easily for it. Uh, they probably manufactured a ton of parts, extra parts for it, so it was probably much more affordable for people to maintain and repair these 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 parts. But I'm I'm totally on board with what he says. Some of these parts are just looking really outdated. And in a Lexus of all things, you need to be putting your best foot forward when it comes to technology and quality. And when I ha- when you when you have to interface with a car using that um that touchpad. It ruins the whole experience. Absolutely. I also
1: I also had problems with the Bluetooth. Uh, it would not control Spotify on my phone. So I, I couldn't. It would link to it, and uh, it would play the music, but I couldn't use any of the controls to, like, skip songs. Um, maybe once every 10 songs it would let me do it, but otherwise it just did nothing. So I had to actually use my phone, which is a little weird. Um, another thing that's kind of strange is there's no volume knob that's on the dash for the vehicle. They've relocated the volume knob and the track selector to the armrest of the console so it's like hidden I, I didn't even see it until like three days of driving it and um it's hidden down there and it's it's like meant so you could put your hand on top of it and scroll it with your thumb i think and just have it be convenient like that but you know what's really convenient a great big knob that everyone can see that's right. like really right in front of
0: where i'm reaching anyway in, instead you're going to get a knob on the cluster binnacle that changes the
1: drive modes. <laughs> and there's one on the other side for traction control. And then if you yeah. Sorry, what? Yeah, the traction Why? control knob is on the other side of the binnacle. And then if you go down on the underside of the dash is a button. I think it says ASC or ASE. And it's for getting rid of the fake engine noise. Oh, cool. Yeah, so you can just get rid of that if you want to. Which is weird because I've read that on the hybrid, which I haven't driven, it, it does engine noise it, 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 even when the electric motor is running. <laughs> and it gives you, like, oh, electric you have, I you
0: don't get, like like, blip downshifts and stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't like that at all because you buy an electric car because they're supposed to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, well, at least you can turn it off. Okay.
1: So my, my, my end analysis, I mean, to me, I like the UX. I, I think it's worth a look. Uh, hmm. I think there are other th- cars that do better, obviously. Um I think it's not really a crossover, but especially the gas model, which has no all-wheel drive. In fact, I would probably put drop springs on it and see how it looked. I think it would look kind of sick that way. Cool, but, but uh, yeah, it's it was something that surprised me in a positive way.
0: Um, you mentioned the sorry, you mentioned the BMW X1 and you mentioned the GLA, but to me, the leader in this class might just be the Volvo XC40.
1: Well, I think the XC40 is much larger.
0: Okay, but I think so, it's priced in the, same, in the same space.
1: That's entirely possible, but I, I don't think it's an apples-to-apples apples thing. Um, okay. I, I agree that it's an infinitely better vehicle, but that's mostly because the exercise gives you so much more practicality, and you, it has a, a different design, et cetera, et cetera. Is it really priced the same? Is, can you get an XC for like $37,000? i am
0: almost certain you
1: can. Let that sounds double. like really cheap for that size. Um, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not saying you're not an expert
0: or you know, professional.
1: Okay. Who's, who's, who knows what's going on in the industry?
0: XC40, you start at 33.7. Okay, wow. So
1: yeah, if, if that's the choice. But if you live in a city and you want something that's small, then the UX, I guess, kind of fits with that, that philosophy because it is considerably smaller than an XC40.
0: And I think Lexus has a uh, certain reliability chops that um, are hard to ignore.
1: Yeah, that's obviously a big part of it too. Uh, I think Volvo's reliability is kind of an unknown at this point because they have so mm. many new platforms that have come out recently. We don't mm. really have long-term information on
0: them. You know, you've heard that, you know, when we say MB MBUX, that UX stands for user experience. Um, in, in And I think that's a generally um, applied term when it comes to uh, interfacing with things like uh, your... The experience when you're using a website or an app or something like that. The fact that the Lexus is called the UX and has the worst infotainment system is very (laughs) ironic, isn't it? I
1: I don't think the UX is a good name for a car. I think there's so many (laughs) other names they could have gone with.
0: I I don't really get it. What would you call it? The Cyclone? The TX. The the, the TX. I I heard that the TX is going to be bigger. Okay. So it's going to be a new three-row.
1: Nothing's bigger than Texas, though. So just that's keep right. that in mind. Um, there's one one more thing I wanted to talk about before we wrapped up. Uh, I had a, an adventure with my Datsun. I actually had two adventures with my Datsun in, in the last mm-hmm. week on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And um, the first one was – so I, for those listeners who might not aware, I, I have a, a 1978 Datsun 280Z that's my track car. And uh, owning a 41-year-old track car is always an adventure, especially... It's such you- a great idea. I mean,
0: <laughs> yeah, 40- no it. one has more parts than a 41-year-old, for a 41-year-old car. You, you can know, get the- them anywhere. It's yeah. so
1: easy. Um, but uh, I, the, I, I recently had a new transmission and rear end installed. I put a, a five-speed close ratio transmission from a ZX Turbo from the 80s in the car, which is a direct fit. Cool. And I also put 390 gearing as opposed to 354, and I installed a helical limited slip differential because yeah. I like the power band of my car, but I wanted to be able to access it better when I was on a track. So I was What, did you, the, what kind of rear differential did you have before? It was just an open diff.
0: Really? Yeah, an R200 oh.
1: open. I mean, most cars come with an open diff. I mean, limited slips are pretty rare. But, uh, a car, even in a sports car, I would expect yeah. it. Okay. No? Well, I mean, you know, you're know, you a bit entitled, but uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, to the millennial. <laughs> so uh, I was driving it on the track for the first time with the setup and it was a relatively short track and I missed a shift twice. I went from third to second instead of third to fourth and I forced the issue and things were really bad. Like uh, I immediately lost power. I came into the pits. It was missing and I was freaking out. Took it to my mechanic. It turns out that I, I thought I had bent a valve. But what had happened was two rocker arms had jumped, and one of them was holding a valve open. And mm-hmm. they were able to find the caps for for the for everything, uh, drain the oil, drain the coolant. Everything looked good. Leak down test was at ten percent across everything. Put it together, runs better than before. Okay, that's good. Ooh. So I, I, I this all happened in a week. I'm on the track. Well again. Well done, sir. Yeah, well, I, I'm on the track again on Monday, the following Monday. Much bigger track, Circuit <clears the> Mont <Mont-Tremblant, throat> which is an old Formula One track. And um, I'm driving down the back straights, my second session of the day, and all of a sudden it's, it's you know, for the that's and it's pretty fast. I'm probably doing maybe 100 miles an hour there at mm-hmm. the end of the straight. And there's this boom and this big wad of coolant hits my windshield on the passenger side. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. And all this smoke starts coming out from the motor. Uh, but I look behind my fr- – when you drive an old car and this kind of thing happens, the first thing you do is look behind you. To see if you're leaving a slick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I look and the track is dry and I'm like, oh, so I didn't drop a hose. I didn't burst anything. What's Mm -hmm. going on? I look at my temperature gauge. It's all the way to the right, but not in the red. So I'm not at 250 degrees yet. I figure I have electric fans. I could yeah. probably make it to pit pit lane so mm-hmm. i I baby the car I go up the go up the hills come down into the pit lane still not dropping I because if if I was dropping fluids, I would have pulled over right away you don't want to get coolant on the race line Coolant is the worst thing you can leak on a racetrack because it's slippery and mm-hmm. it, it it's very hard to clean off asphalt mm-hmm. so I wasn't dropping anything I went offline, I got it into the pits still no puddle I popped the hood and I see like the first thing I see I turn the car off but I leave the ignition on so the fans are going. Mm-hmm. Um, this is coolant everywhere, but the hoses are all in place. There's no hole in the radiator and there's no puddles. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I look and the front belt seems, I, uh, the belt that I had running the, uh, alternator and the drive belt, like the water pump, mm-hmm. it had been a little bit frayed and I actually had a new Whoa. one with me. Okay. I, and I had planned on replacing it. It had been picked up at tech inspection. And uh, it wasn't in bad shape, but, you know, it can always be better. Mm-hmm. Um, I look and I, I expect to see the belt torn. That was my first thought. But the belt's actually there, just not connected to anything. It's like hanging off the top pulley. And I'm like, what? what's going on? This doesn't make any sense. What had happened was the bolt for my alternator, the bottom mounting bolt, had backed out completely. Mm-hmm. I'd lost the nut somehow kept the washer, and it dropped the alternator enough to loosen the belt and have it fly off while I was driving. Wow. So, yeah, there's. I only found that out when I was... I, I, I touched the alternator and it, it wiggled on me. I'm like, that should not be moving. <laughs> and and I, I realized that the bolt was missing. So it took about 45 minutes to repair. I, I found... There was someone in the pits who had a 240Z, used to have one, and he had the exact nut that I needed for this bolt. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I took my new belt, put it on, Started the car up. It didn't overheat. I didn't cook the head gasket or anything. I did another two sessions and everything was fine. But it was just, you know, kind of like a a heart-stopping moment where anytime anything coolant-related happens, I'm always like, oh, is this the day that I munch my engine? But it was a very eventful month for for my car. And I'm starting to wonder if, like, I'm reaching the limits of what's possible from a reliability perspective with this platform. Because the engine is stock and I beat on it really hard. So I don't know. Should I just buy a BRZ, Sammy?
0: Um I mean I if you buy a BRZ, you won't have these stories to tell on the podcast. So please do not, because we need more content as always. That's true. And a dual BRZ podcast wouldn't be interesting. I don't know. And first of all, I have a Scion FRS which is no longer available. Remember that. It's a okay. collector's item. Collector's item. <laughs> <laughs> um just like this podcast. If you want to collect more podcasts, you should go do. to our website. Please do. Uh, You should go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you're there, you can see all of our previous episodes. You can see um, all kinds of buttons to allow you to subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast client. So we've got Google Play Music, Google Podcasts. We've got Spotify. We've got iTunes. We've got – CastBox. CastBox. I always forget CastBox because I've never used it, I guess, is the main reason (laughs) why. Um, Just one search – um, in your client and see whether or not the Unnamed Auto Podcast shows up there. And if it doesn't, hey, you can reach out to us. There's a bunch of ways to do that. First, we have a contact form on our website. You click a little link on the on the website. You type in your name, your email address so that we can get back in touch with you. It's very easy, very simple. But if you don't want to do it that way, if you want to get in touch with us through email, you can send Benjamin that email. It's uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Holla. Or holla. Or you can reach out to us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram, the wonderful filtered world of Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. I think that covers our conclusion as usual. And uh, Sammy, (laughs) what are you driving next week as usual? Uh, I'm driving a Mercedes. I'm going to keep this Mercedes-Benz train rolling. I'm going to drive a Mercedes-Benz brand new CLS 450.
1: Okay, uh, next week I'm going to be driving a Wrangler, a four-door Wrangler, but this time it has the, uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it has the power convertible roof. Um, So I have some interesting ideas, (laughs) things I want to talk about for that roof. And uh, it's also kind of interesting to contrast the experience of driving a new Jeep
0: versus an old Jeep. Absolutely, I can't wait to hear it. Bye. Bye.